Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, uh, if you're new this morning, I want to say a welcome. My name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at uh, LifePoint and uh, LifePoint family. Welcome back. We're grateful uh, that you're here. I've got a few announcements I want to walk through. It's just a unique season for us as we're about to be online for a couple of weeks. So a couple of things I want to mention here, actually four or five things. So bear with me. Um, Life groups launch in one week, right? So May 7th, if you've been part of our church, you know we take a couple of, a few week break and we launch our groups again. Group life is pivotal for us as a church. The majority of our people are in a life group and small groups that meet some here at the church, many, the majority in homes throughout the week. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not yet in a group. The catalog should be at the ends of your rows. Grab a life group catalog. If you don't have one, they're also out at Guest Central. Uh, But grab a catalog. Look through that catalog. Find a night, a day, a morning. We've got more than 30 groups uh, that meet here at the Delaware campus. And so find a group that fits your schedule and jump into a group. I know it's hard. I know it takes more time. I know you got to, it can be nerve wracking, right? Get into a group for the first time. But that's part of why we launch them like this three times a year. Gives you an opportunity to jump in. A lot of folks will be uh, new. And so jump in find a group. Uh, We can't encourage you to do that enough. Uh, We're going to be launching those while we are online for a couple of Sundays. So a reminder, today's the last time we've got three services, 8 a.m., 9, 30, and 11. We're going to be online May 7th and May 14th, and then back here in person in the expanded facility on May 21st. As we come back on the 21st at 9, 30, and 11 a.m., a couple of things with that. There's a life team orientation that day, and the reason I'm highlighting that one specifically is that's a short class where you learn how to serve here at LifePoint, how to be on a team at LifePoint. If you're here, we're thrilled that you're here, we need you to jump in and serve, right? We have a culture of serving here. We want to bear one another's burdens, serve one another well, and for us to gather well on a Sunday morning, it requires all of us jumping in uh, to serve. So we encourage you, hey, be at one service, attend at one service, and specifically, I mentioned last week, we've got lots of teams that could all use people jumping in, but LifePoint kids as we expand the LifePoint Kids facility, uh, that would be a great one to jump into and serve in LifePoint Kids. Speaking of kids, as you come in on the 21st, the new multi-purpose room that's built in the back, middle school and high school students will use that uh, in the evenings on Sunday nights. You guys will be in there. And then K through third will use it on Sunday morning. So if you have a kindergartner through third grader, uh, you're going to have to walk a little further, right? I'm sorry, or you're welcome, right? Getting in those steps each day, but you're gonna have to walk a little further through this sort of expanded lobby here. You'll go all the way through the kids' wing and it'll be expanded into the back and signage will be there and our folks will be there to help guide you, but just be aware of that when you come back on uh, the 21st. Uh, the f- two, more, two more things here. I wrote to myself, don't go to Marion. Let me explain that. Don't go to Marion. So uh, as we are online for a couple of weeks, I know many of us will want to take the opportunity uh, to, hey, let me go visit another campus. And absolutely, um, Lewis Center is probably the one that can host this number of people uh, if we all go to Marion, right? Uh, It will be a disaster for Marion, frankly. It'll be like, we're so glad you're here, and oh my goodness. And so if even a hundred of us showed up at the Marion campus, their facility just can't hold that at the current moment, right? They've not yet gone to two services. Their kids' rooms are exploding already, which is great. We're growing, uh, but they just can't handle all of us showing up there. So let's support Marion through prayer. 
prayer and by saying, man, we love you, right? You can jump on Facebook and encourage you. Hey, glad to be with you online today, but um, let's not go to Marion, right? And I, that sounds terrible. I hate saying it. Uh, it felt weird even writing it, but that's just the reality, right? We would probably overwhelm their systems and our volunteers there at our Marion campus. Cool. Uh, and then finally, you will see uh, at the 11 a.m., we're going to be uh, bringing nine uh, seniors. We're celebrating. So our Senior Sunday typically happens during the time that we're online. And so today we're celebrating our seniors, those students who are finishing up one chapter of their life and launching into the next chapter of their life. So when you leave today in the lobby, you'll see uh, we're praying for them at the 11 a.m. But at every service, they're, they're, we've got nine Bibles out in the lobby on three different tables there. Take a look at their photos. Uh, if you know them, you can highlight a verse in their Bible. Even if you don't, you want to write an encouraging note to them, please do so and be praying for them, right? As we, uh, as a church, just come around them and pray for them as they, again, close out one chapter and start the next chapter of their life, right? With all that said, Psalm 81, all right? Psalm 81, if you have a Bible, you can turn it on or open it up. It'll be on the screens here as well for you. Um, we are in week three of this series we've been calling Playlist. We've been talking about, right, what are the uh, really the, the songs that inform and shape our faith. We've been looking at the book of Psalms. The big idea of the series has been that God has written the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. Jeff Huff, a couple of weeks ago when he kicked off our series, called it, right, the hymn book of the human race. Uh, that the book of Psalms is like the hymn book of the human race. That I think part of the reason he said that is because all the full range of human experience is there in the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, it's not just Psalms of from faith to faith to faith. It's Psalms of doubt and, and suffering and lament and praise and faith and also petition, right? God, where are you? Questioning, but also those, as we talked about last week, that hope and defiant hope of saying, God, I'm going to praise you even in the midst of these things. You see the full range of human experience and emotion there. Psalm 81 is a psalm of praise of celebration to start off with, but then also a psalm of remembrance, looking back over their history. Unfortunately, also in some ways, a song of, of rebuke from the Lord to the people as they, they sort of recount the history of the people of Israel and a song in some ways of recommitment. We, uh, we think the psalm was uh, created to be sung and celebrated at one of the yearly festivals that Israel would have. Uh, commentators don't fully agree on which of those festivals. It seems most likely, at least to me, that it fits the festival of tabernacles, right? So there's a festival, if you read in Leviticus, you see these seven different festivals every year that Israel would gather and they would celebrate. And one of those is the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths. Uh, what they were doing there is every year they would come and they would live inside of these uh, tents, right? Once they got permanent housing, they would go back and they would set up tents and they would live in those tabernacles, those booths, those tents, as a reminder of their time during the Exodus. When for 40 years, they had to travel in the wilderness and God provided for them and they lived in tents during that time. So it was this idea of, hey, we're remembering, we're looking back and we're celebrating the way that God provided for us through our time in the wilderness. That's where we pick up here in Psalm 81. It starts this way, verse one. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. In other words, strike up the band, right? Play the music. It's part of why we gather, right? We sing back to the Lord and tell him he's worthy. This is what, it's been happening for thousands of years. The people of God gathering and singing and saying, God, you're worthy. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. What the psalmist is telling us here, right? When he says, when he went out over the land of Egypt. Again, this is recalling the Exodus experience. 
This is, in the Old Testament, this is the most pivotal moment and season in the life of the nation of Israel. God rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. There are massive parallels that the New Testament draws to Christ coming as the new Moses and bringing us out of our slavery to sin. It's this, you look back to the Old Testament, God brings them out of their physical slavery, leads them through the wilderness. And one of the things that's really, uh, I don't know if it's shocking, but it's certainly something that's striking. When you read the Old Testament, particularly when you read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see that God repeatedly tells them they are to be stopping on a regular basis, gathering and celebrating what God has done for them. He's telling them all the time, pause here and remember, rest and remember, rest and remember, gather, celebrate and remember. In fact, there are, seven, I told you, seven different festivals every single year. Some of them are a week long or more. Eventually, when they permanently settled in Israel, uh, three of those, they would have to go back to Jerusalem. So they would take time off to travel to Jerusalem, and then they would be there for like a week, and then they would take time off to travel back to their homes. And so they've got this regular rhythm every single year, not just every year, but every week they were commanded. The seventh day of every week, you're to stop everything and rest and remember what God has done and worship. And every seventh year was the Sabbath year where they would let all their fields rest for, and then every seventh, seventh year, the 50th year was a year of Jubilee where they would cancel everybody's debts and they'd have a massive celebration of the way that God has freed them and they would worship. And you read it all and you go, man, it seems like God is really intent on telling his people, you guys need to regularly pause, reflect, remember, celebrate what I've done for you. And I think part of the reason, the main reason for that is, is this, that we are prone to forget. We as the people of God, the Israelites then, us now, we are prone to forget God's goodness. And this is not a new realization. This is something you see in the word from thousands of years ago. You see it throughout the hymn writers, right? Over hundreds of years. The old hymn says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above that was written in 1758, right? Hundreds of years ago by a man named Robert Robinson. By the way, uh, seniors and middle school students, high school, college, and young adults, he wrote that at the age of 22. It's a reminder to you that it, it doesn't require you uh, to be very old to be used by the Lord, right? You being used by the Lord has less to do with your age and more to do with your willingness to say, Lord, here I am, send me. All right, so young folks, be reminded. I think and sometimes our culture expects too much of you and in other ways our culture expects too little of you. And I would just look at you and say, you, you just go before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am, use me. And know that even at a young age, God can use you to do extraordinary things in his kingdom. But point being, our hearts are prone to wander and we are prone to forget. And it's easy to read the Exodus experience. If you've done that, you look at the Israelites and you're like, man, why you guys, why, how could you possibly forget what God did for you, right? And you read it and then you go, oh, that's me. That's us. If we're honest, God answers prayer, delivers us from a certain situation. We thank him for a little while. And then before long, we're worrying about the next problem, worrying about the next situation. God, where are you? Our hearts are prone to wander. So one of the things we see consistently in the Old Testament is this command, hey, gather and remember, 
what God has done for you. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. You go to the New Testament and you see it as well, which is, I think, really, really cool given that it could be, well, hey, Jesus has come and we've got the Spirit of God. We don't need each other. Now, we don't need to gather and remember these things and celebrate, but that's not what the New Testament says. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. This is after Christ has come, after he has completed, fulfilled all the promises, Spirit of God given to the church. And here's what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we sang about it a little bit ago, by the blood applied, Christ crucified for your sin and mine, Christ raised from the grave that we might have new life with him. And he says, because Jesus died and rose again, because his blood has washed us clean of our sin, we've got access the new and living way, access to the Father, the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In other words, look, because of all that God has done, Because of all that Christ has done, Jesus the faithful one, when we were faithless, when we turned away from him, he still came running after us. He says then this, given all that that is true, let us, verse 24, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It says all the more, right, as, it, as we get closer to the return of Christ, we don't just hit, hey, let's hit cruise control, sort of coast. He says, no, 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 keep gathering together. Keep spurring one another on towards good works. One of our other pastors is saying it this way, that we gather or we grow personally by just gathering regularly. The gathering regularly, whether in this context here on a Sunday morning or in our life groups, gathering small, we gather together and we do life together to encourage one another toward holiness and good works, toward loving Christ, and we do it together. And I think this is probably an appropriate time. I was thinking about this week, right? I mean, we're about to go online for a couple of weeks, and so I want to say this hopefully well. I'm really grateful for online technology. Uh, I'm grateful for the idea of, hey, we can record our messages here on Sunday morning, and you can, we post these by 2 p.m. every day, and, and we have, you know, a live stream where LifePoint Online, you can watch in the mornings. I, like, I'm grateful for all of that technology. I'm grateful that while we're not able to meet physically in our building for the next two weeks, we'll still be meeting in our life groups. I am very grateful for our life group structure. I hope that before we've come back on the 21st, we'll have met together, all of us, at least once or twice in our smaller group structure, and I'm grateful that we can join and watch online. Prayed with a guy this morning who's leaving for a year, part of a military stint. He said, man, I'll be watching online. Like, I'm grateful for those, those moments where people need it and it's such a helpful resource for them. I mean, sometimes people through tears have told us how much it's been meaningful to them that they can still join and watch. And while I'm very grateful, I would say there's a danger that those resources, online church, it's meant to be a helpful resource not a long-term substitute for what is biblical and I think ideal, right? When, When we think about the faith, when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the New Testament, it is not, the faith is not reduced down to some online content, just a message I watch or listen, some content I receive and then I leave. It's following Jesus in relationship with him, doing it together, and when you, redu- when you reduce that down to just, man, I, I can log in, I can watch, I can leave, you miss out 
you miss out on the, hey, spurring one another on toward good works, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying alongside one another, encouraging one another until the day draws near. We are called to do this together. And, and again, can it be a helpful resource? Can it be in short terms? Absolutely. But it's not a substitute for us doing life together in relationship with one another, saying, hey, brother, sister, let me help you, and I want you to help me as we pursue Christ together. Let's keep going on. Look at verse, end of verse five, verse six. What happens here is the psalm begins to switch and, and the Lord actually speaks to the people of Israel. The psalmist says, I hear a language I had not known. And God speaks, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Speaking to his people, your hands were freed from the basket. So he's now recalling the Exodus. He says, in distress you called, right? You called to me from Egypt, from your slavery. And I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. I'm going to explain that statement there. So Meribah refers to, the word means quarreling, right? The place of quarreling. Uh, because there are two different episodes. Some people say it's one episode. I, I think it's two different ones. Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. And they're at the bookends of the Exodus experience. Once at the beginning and once at the end. Where the people of Israel... In some ways, God puts them to the test as far as, are you going to trust me? And in other ways, Psalm 95 talks about this. The people put God to the test. They whine and they complain. Exodus 17, at the beginning of going out in the wilderness, they whine and they complain. They're like, we're going to die of thirst out here. And they start yelling at Moses, right? Like, why'd you bring us out here? And God, you know, if we're going to die, we might as well go back to Egypt. And so God comes and tells Moses, Moses, it's very interesting. He says, I'm going to stand on this rock. And I want you to strike the rock. In some ways, it seems like he's almost saying like, strike me and out of the rock is gonna flow water that will sustain the people, that will provide life-giving right, water for the people. I, I think there are some parallels there to the idea of striking Christ and out of Christ comes right, our very life. But point being, there's this moment of testing and the people say, you know, where are you, God? And God shows up and he tells Moses, strike the right rock. Moses does, water comes out. You fast forward 40 years, Numbers 20, and the count reads very similarly, where it's the next generation and they start complaining again. They actually threaten to stone Moses, right, to kill him by throwing rocks at him. You're like, this gets volatile very quickly, right, at times. It happens multiple times through the Exodus experience. And Moses cries out, right, and the Lord says to Moses this time, speak to the rock. Just speak to the rock and out of it will flow water for the people. And Moses, what happens in that moment is that Moses seemingly unleashes about 40 years of pent-up uh, just aggression and anger uh, at the people of Israel, where he basically looks at him and he says, you rebellious people, right? You want water? Fine. And what he does is instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he beats it twice, just wails on it. Water comes out. And there's a human part of us, to be honest, when you read the account, there's a little bit of the human part of you uh, where you're kind of like, yeah, Israelites, you deserve that, right? Mo totally get it, Moses. And yet, as you read on, there's a real sobering reality that in that moment, because of his actions, Moses actually loses the opportunity to lead the people into the promised land. God comes back and tells Moses, Moses, you won't lead the people into the promised land. You'll die outside the promised land. And it's not that he doesn't love Moses and it's not that he's not faithful to Moses, right? And Moses was faithful in many ways, but the Lord specifically says to him, right? You failed to uphold me as holy before the people. 
In, in other words, right, like I told, you t- I told you very explicitly what to do, to speak to the rock. And in front of all the people, you disobeyed me. And you took out, instead, you took this as an opportunity to vent your anger at the people and to disobey me in front of all the people. And because you failed to uphold me as holy before the people, you won't go into the promised land. And to be honest, so I've been reading through the Old Testament this year. That, that moment struck me, and I think it should strike all of us as leaders. So for anyone here who's a leader, you've been given a leadership position in your home, fathers, mothers, in your workplace, employers, right, managers. You've been given a leadership in your position in your, on your team or in your classroom or in the church. There's a heaviness to leadership and it's appropriate for us to feel that. Now listen, you're not gonna be a perfect leader. I am not a perfect leader. I, there are a number of scenarios I can think of even right now where I'm like, no, I just didn't do that well. I failed in this area. I wish I could have that back. And you could probably think of similar things where you're like, man, I failed in this area. And listen, there's grace and there's help in time of need. God will use us imperfect as we are. If we will say, Lord, here we are, use us. There's grace and there's help in time of need. And it's appropriate that we feel the weight of that responsibility. Understanding that as leaders, God holds us responsible for the culture that we help create and the example we set to the people that we lead. I'll say that again, God holds us responsible as leaders for the culture that we help create and for the example that we set to those that we lead. And so I have found myself praying more often, Lord, help me to uphold you as holy. (laughs) You're a holy God, you're a loving, holy, just, there's no one like you. Help me to uphold you as holy to the people that I lead. And I would encourage you, for those of us who lead, right? Then pray that same thing. And look, it may look different for you. Uh, You may not in your workplace be able to speak as openly as I can here in this workplace, as it were, but we can all say, Lord, in my words and in my conduct, I want to uphold you as holy before the people that I I want them to, to see me, to see us, and ultimately to see more of you. I want them to, in the way I speak, in the way I act, in the things that we do and say, God, let them see us and let, let them see ultimately more of you. Let's go on, verse eight. God says, hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would, but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. So he's recalling the covenant now, the covenant he made with them when they first set out, right? At Mount Sinai, we talked about it about a month ago, right? Where he says, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord, your God. I love you. I've brought you. I've chosen you as my people who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Sometimes, we've talked about this before. Sometimes I think we think God is just this taskmaster who gives us a list of rules. And all over the Bible is the Lord looking at his people saying, I want to satisfy you. I want to give you good things. If you would open your mouth, if you would look to me, I will satisfy you. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. The people like us said basically, man, I'll go my own way. I think we know better than you do. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. That's a weighty thing. Verse 12, I want to pause right there. Sometimes I think we think, or we get angry at God, like, God, why are you keeping me from the fun that I want to have? 
Lord, you know, you're not opening a door that I really want to have opened or you're not letting me do the thing that I want to do or you're telling me I have to do something that I don't want to do and we get frustrated or angry with the Lord. And to be honest, when we think that way, we are believing one of the enemy's most effective lies and I see it all over our culture. You, you probably do as well. You hear it all the time, some version of, you will only be happy when you have everything you want. You're gonna be happy when you get everything that you want. And church, I just, let me just say that as lovingly and as clearly as I can. That's stupid. <laughs> it's wrong. It's flat out, unequivocally, just wrong. Because here's the reality. And let, let's just think about this for a moment. All of us want stuff and have wanted stuff that we knew in the moment I need that. And long-term, it was unhelpful or even hurtful to us. Parents, right? Can I get a name? Like with your kids, they just ask for stuff sometimes and you're like, I know you want that right now, but it's not gonna help you in the long run, right? I, like we had one of our kids come home, like my classmate has this stuffed animal. It's amazing. I need to buy one. We're like, great. It's $144, right? And you're like, buddy, this is not what you wanna spend your money on. I promise you, right? You're gonna be sad in the long run that you, we got another kiddo who will remain nameless, right? But man, if, if we let that kid, they would live on sprinkles and Skittles every day. <laughs> Like every day. And, so, and it's, here's the thing. We don't outgrow that. We just get older versions of sprinkles and Skittles. <laughs> shiny object, right? One of our folks called it shiny object syndrome. And I was like, that's really good, right? Where it's this, if I just get this, it's gonna be amazing and it'll fill me and I'll be so happy. And then you get it and what happens? On to the next thing, right? I need more sprinkles. And it's this lie underneath, right? Underneath the humor, there's a little humor to it, but underneath that is a very serious, very, very common lie that we buy into. And that is, if I can just have all the things I want, I'll be happy. And here, in what we see here is actually when the Lord says, fine, go after it, have at it. It's actually a form of discipline you don't want God to give you all the things you want. You don't want God to give, it is actually his hand of mercy that restrains us from going after things that will kill us. And so the Lord here in this moment says, fine, we'll let you run after that for a while. That's actually a form of discipline that we don't, we want in the sense that it'll turn us back, but that's the Lord's ultimate heart. He doesn't ultimately, hey, run. I just want you to run after all the things you want. No, he wants us to, to learn the lesson in return. Come back. Look at verse 13. This is God's heart. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. And the psalmist then speaks one time, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. And then God finishes. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Not just the bread from heaven, right, that came the Exodus to sustain them. Not just the water from the rock that sustained them. But he says, I, I'd give you good things. <laughs> Honey from the rock, right, to sat something to delight you and give you pleasure. The Lord's like, I'm not, not holding out on you. I actually want to bless you. <laughs> Leads me to say this, right, second to last thing. God longs for his people to listen and promises to satisfy their souls. Let me make that personal. God longs for you to listen to him. And he promises 
if you'll turn to me, if you'll humble yourself, turn from your sin, trust Jesus, my son, I'll give you the spirit, the very spirit of God living inside of you. I will satisfy your soul. And to be honest, if we really think about that, that God longs to do for that, do that for us, to promise us to satisfy our souls, that he's that patient with us, it's really amazing. So often, so many times as you read the book of Exodus, as you read the Old Testament, as you go through the failures of the people of Israel over and over and over and over, and if we're honest, as we look at our own lives, and we see the number of times we've turned away from the Lord, the fact that he just keeps pursuing, the fact that he's so patient, the fact that he doesn't just say, man, I'm done with you. <laughs> Go get new people, right? You guys are hard-hearted and stubborn and I'm done with you. But instead says, no, I'm gonna love you. I made a covenant with my people. I promised to bless them and to love them even when they run. And it's like in, uh, it's like in marriage, when, I, when we do premarital counseling with our young folks and, and whenever I officiate the wedding, I remind them that the promises they're making to one another on that day, they're not just promising present love, they're promising future love. They're saying, I don't just love you today, I promise to love you, Lord willing, 50 years from now. I will love you when you are unlovely. I will love you when you're hard to love. You're promising to love me when I'm hard to love. And that's the father's heart to us. Culture would say, man, if it's not easy, then quit. If that person doesn't make you happy, then leave. But the Lord says to us, no, I want you to, I want you to love that person when they're unlovely. Because you made a covenant with them. And really, that's just a reflection of God's heart to us. The Lord saying to us, I made a covenant with you. I redeemed you, I rescued you through the blood of Jesus, my son applied to your life and I will love you at your worst. And when you run from me, I will run after you. I sent Christ running after you. God longs for his people to listen and promises to satisfy their souls. And when you say, Kale, man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> How do I know that the Lord hasn't given up on me? Because I'm like the people of Israel. I've turned from him so many times failed someone, done the same dumb thing that I said I would never do again. How do I know? It really is the Sunday school answer. <laughs> Jesus. You just look to Jesus, the greatest demonstration of God's love. God saying, man, I, I love you so much that I sent my son for you. And Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Turn from your sin, trust him, and let him satisfy your soul. Here's the last point, and I'll try to wrap it all up. Jesus completes Psalm 81. Jesus completes Psalm 81. A few weeks ago, I told you, Jeff Huff kicked off this series, and he said something so profound. He went to Luke 24, and he just told us what Jesus said. Jesus said, man, all the law and the prophets and the Psalms are fulfilled in him. That you read Jesus back into the Psalms and say, how does this find its completion in Christ? Look, Psalm 81 without Jesus is not all that happy. You read it and it's like, praise God, everybody. And then God's like, hey, you disobeyed. And if you would just turn to me, I would satisfy you. And then it ends. And you're like, well, that doesn't have a very happy ending. Because you're like, do they listen? And you read the rest of the Old Testament. And you're like, nope. And then it just, I mean, you get to the book of Malachi. I mean, the whole Old Testament, think about it. It's this, the people turning away from God and all these promises 
from the prophets and through the Psalms. And they're saying, hey, someone's gonna come. We're gonna find our satisfaction someday in the Lord. God's gonna give us a new heart. He's gonna send this person who's gonna take our sins away and give us new life. And then the Old Testament ends and none of it's happened yet. Then God goes silent for 400 years. And you're like, that's not a very happy ending. Not until you open the New Testament. And what's the very first line of the New Testament? Matthew 1.1. Matthew starts off his gospel saying this. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Maybe that doesn't strike you as significant. <laughs> but what he's saying is, guys, the very, as he introduces, what am I talking, what's the rest of this book going to be about? This is the one we've all been waiting for. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the one that the Old Testament talks about. This is the one the law talks about. This is the one who does what for, for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is the one the Psalms talk about. This is the one that the prophets talked about. This is the one who fulfills all the longings of the Psalms and the Old Testament. This is the one who makes good on all the promises. This is the one who has come to apply his blood to our lives and to wash us clean. Psalm 81 only has a happy ending when you see Christ, when you look forward and you see Jesus, the one who brings it all together, the one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I'll say, uh, you know, Psalm 81 points us forward to Jesus and also consistently points back to the Exodus experience and to God's provision for them. And that's yet another way that it finds its completion in Jesus. Because when you read in the New Testament, Jesus during his ministry consistently talks about the Exodus experience and he talks about himself as being the fulfillment of all those things. In the Exodus, which this Psalm is celebrating and looking back to, God provided manna from heaven, the bread that came from heaven. John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus stands up and tells the people, he says, guys, I'm the true bread from heaven. I'm the one who can satisfy you. And he also goes, John 4, right? So Exodus, life-giving water from the rock. Jesus goes to this woman at the well and what does he say to her? He says, I'm the living water. And if you would just ask, I'll give you water that'll well up in your life to eternal life. You'll never thirst again. He does it there, not only in John 4, John chapter seven, he does it again. And he does it at none other than the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast we think this was being celebrated at, right? As the people gathered in Jerusalem and they looked back to the Exodus where God provided for them, where he provided the life-giving water from the rock, Jesus stands up and on the last day of the festival looks at everyone and says, guys, I'm the living water. All who are thirsty, come to me. It would have been a stunning moment as they all look and say, this man is claiming that he really is God, the very provision of God for us. And he's promising that he can satisfy our souls if we'll just come to him. And here's what I would say. Some of us today, you can say, man, that's true for me. You could testify to that. You could look over your life and say, so many times I have turned from the Lord and he has been gracious to me. I've humbled myself. I've turned from sin. I've trusted Jesus with my life. And his, life, his blood, as we're about to sing again, has been applied to my life and I am satisfied in him. I've come and I've, I've drank at the well. I've built my life on the rock that is Christ. I've eaten the true bread and my heart is happy in him. It's not perfect 
I get that, right? But there's this real sense in you. You can say, my heart is satisfied in Christ. And there are others of us here today. And you would say, man, I, I, am, I am hungry and I'm thirsty. And not physically. We live at a time and place where the majority of us have more than enough materially speaking. But spiritually, you are hungry and you're thirsty and you're going from thing to thing to thing, person to person to person, job to job to job, new house to new house, new car to new car, source to source to source saying, can you satisfy me? Can this satisfy me? And I would say to you, Jesus's words to those people 2000 years ago are just as relevant to you today. Jesus's invitation to you today is, if you're thirsty, <laughs> come drink. If you're hungry, come eat. Come to Christ, build your life on him and let your soul be satisfied in him and him alone. If you're here today and you would say, that's true of me, we're gonna take some time to pray and I would invite you to pray and to remember and to celebrate and to recommit. And if you're here today and you say, man, I've never, I've never been satisfied like that. The invitation of Jesus is today. Come to him and be satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, take a moment right now and we say this often here, God, in a world of noise, in a world where the pace is feels almost constantly rushed. God, we thank you for moments like right now where we can just slow down and we can think and we can reflect and we can thank you, God, for all that you have done for us and for all of who you are. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for his blood shed at the cross applied to our lives. Thank you for his resurrection and all that that means for us. I'm gonna give you a moment. We've got some time. We've ended a little bit early today on purpose and um, I just wanna give you some time to pray in quiet here and to reflect. And I would encourage you to think over your life, over the years of your life, those moments and those seasons where you have seen God show up in such faithfulness to you. And as you pray, just admit to him, Lord, I am prone to wander, prone to forget. Forgive me. And right now, take the time to thank him and to praise him for his faithfulness over your life.
as you continue to pray. I wanna speak to those who, when I said you're hungry and you're thirsty, that's you. The spiritual well is dry. And today again, Jesus's invitation to you is then come and drink and be satisfied. Look to the rock and find satisfaction for your soul. I wanna give you an opportunity to pray right now. And maybe God has worked in your life to where today you have come to the place of understanding and surrender where you wanna humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and Jesus, I receive you crucified and resurrected for me. You can pray with me. You can pray in your own words. Lord, today I ask the forgiveness of my sin. Jesus, I accept your death on the cross. You paid the debt I owed as we're gonna sing, broke my chains and freed my soul. I ask for that freedom today. I ask for forgiveness. And I thank you for the new life I have in you. And from this day forward, I give my life to you. Whatever years I have left, I give it to you because you first gave your life for me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, we thank you. I thank you that every time someone prays that in faith, you answer it every time. There is no one like you in all the earth. And God, you are faithful. And those seasons change, you remain. From cradle to grave, you watch over our lives and beyond into eternity with you. We thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.